When broaching a subject as complex and controversial as the idea that there may in fact be humans who aren't entirely human, also known as hybrids, you undoubtedly get pulled down the proverbial rabbit hole. Such was the case in what you are about to hear. My conversation with the co-author of Meet the Hybrids, Miguel Mendoza, went in a myriad different directions, yet all connected to the central idea that humans exist on this planet who are also part ET. But this conversation was much more than just about do they exist or do they not? We've been down that rabbit hole before. Here we discuss the idea of belief and truth and humility as it relates to the hybrids and of the species at large. We also address the shadow side of the hybrid experience like abduction, not just by the aliens, but by our own. A constant interplay of shadow and light where the malevolent and benevolent seem to coexist in the hybrid experience. But most importantly, what can we glean from hearing about the lives of these unique individuals in order to better understand ourselves? It's always a special treat when I get to have on not only a colleague, but a dear friend. And today is one of those days. Miguel Mendoza is the author of several widely respected books, all dealing with the experiential aspect of which we refer to as the ET and UFO phenomenon. Those books include Being with the Beings, We Are the Disclosure, 700 Years of Research on ET Human Interaction, and one that I had the pleasure of narrating for the audiobook version, and that's Meet the Hybrids, The Lives and Missions of ET Ambassadors on Earth. The latter, Meet the Hybrids, will be our focus of discussion today. And I thought it would be apropos to make this the cornerstone of our chat, based in part on an article that was recently published in the UK newspaper, The Metro, titled, Aliens Are Already Breeding with Humans and the New, quote, Hybrid Will Save the World. Now, clearly, the headline might call into question the credibility of such a phenomenon, just based on the inference, hybrids will save the world. But when you dig into the article, and I'll be sure to post a link so all of you can read it yourself, a respected academic, a professor at Oxford's Oriental Institute, is adamant about the reality of a variety of alien species breeding with humans, and then it goes into his theories as to why. But that aside for now, Miguel, you read this article, and I know you, having authored a most comprehensive volume on this idea of ET human hybrids, you're very familiar uh, with all of this. And you have a most sophisticated and thought provoking philosophy on who they are, and what they represent. And we're going to dig into that shortly. But first, what were your initial thoughts on that article? Uh, To be honest, um, it just reminded me that um, I had already heard of this guy a few years back. Um, I think he made uh, similar headlines um, just for giving a lecture on the subject. Um, And I think he and I touched base at that stage, but he was actually out of the country. So and I just forgot about it. So we didn't get back in touch. But um, I emailed him this morning. So. Um, I would be very interested to look at his uh, research um, to see what, um, you know, to examine the grounds of his thesis. Um, Mm -hmm. How has he put this together? Who has he spoken to? Where has this come from? I don't know if he's just read the literature or if he's actually undertaken his own research. And because the book he's published is only available in Korean at this stage, um, 
right now I have no way of uh, delving in further. So I've asked him to send me along an outline of the book, um, its sort of central argument, and um, and ideally um, a little bit about um, uh, his his research, his his methodology, and. Um, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see, has he spoken to any hybrids or has he just basically drawn mm. this from the existing literature of which there is, you know, frankly, very little. Mm. That's a good point. And in fact, like I said, I'll put a link for the for the article. It's, it's not a, a long read at all. But I know that he, I don't have it in front of me, but I recall that he's come up with this hypothesis that includes sort of three ideas as to why this may be going on, that there may be a, a, a variety of non-human intelligence uh, breeding with humans, one of which has to do with climate change, interestingly. What did you mm-hmm. think about that? Well, um, when I first got into this whole subject, um, one of the things that I said to all the hybrids is, have a word, would you? If you are genuinely connected to these guys, and if you have if it is a two-way communication, then would you please, for the love of God, tell these people to up their game because everything on this planet is crashing and burning. I did 10 years studying work in in, um, sustainability policy and practice. and, And frankly, I have always been confused by, or at least questioned the whole premise of other beings coming here and working with individuals on raising their awareness around these issues. I mean, it's a drop in the ocean. You know, what is required on this planet? I mean, it is a state of absolute emergency, and it has been for a long, long time. But my sense is that probably humans will not fix it. I don't think it is in our nature. Otherwise, we would have done it already because it's not a question of information. I think if you can go actually back to the 1870s and find the first research that was done um, that basically provided a forecast of the effects of overproduction of CO2 on this planet, what happens when you keep adding to the natural uh, greenhouse effect, when you keep supplementing that with other climate forcing gases, particularly uh, CO2 at that time, you know, it's the industrial revolution. And uh, so they could basically see that that was going to increase warming. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they did not have the sophistication to understand all of the, um, the kind of feedback loops that would be triggered by um, increases in, in, uh, global sea surface temperatures and so on and so on and so on but the information was there to say if we keep burning coal and clearing rainforest um, all this sort of land use change um, uh, the kind of agriculture that we were practicing um, livestock agriculture there's lots and lots of um, uh, processes already underway back in the late 1800s that you could understand how with an increase in population and increase in mechanization through industrialization, et cetera, et cetera, that um, we would need to shift our 
the basis of our energy system mm-hmm. uh, that was that was clear then that you know 150 years ago and if that's the case then it has never been a, an information deficit that is pushing humanity in this direction it is some it is I mean, we could speculate on all of that and you could get to a, quite a philosophical place and you could uh, you could look at the kinds of um, uh, kind of cosmological and philosophical, metaphysical, spiritual um, ideas that crop up in this field, um, which is all about... Um, reality being an experience engine, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. Uh, or an evolution engine, and experience is the fuel. And so you could, in an infinite uh, reality, have a situation in which a group of uh, um, consciousnesses take form on a given, uh, uh, in the 3D, and experience the... Uh, limits of materialism and to me that as much as anything else is what we are experimenting with here I mean we are already seeing what the limits of materialism are and that is the end of life on earth certainly human life Uh, I mean humans are very fragile beings I mean we are um, pretty good at surviving uh, individually and in small uh, groups, but as a species, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are running rapidly in the opposite direction, and then you get the Trumps of this world, who come up with the kind of cockeyed thesis uh, like climate change is a Chinese hoax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a Chinese hoax to right. destroy American industry. I mean, it's. I just words fail me. Yeah. Um, so with that kind of quote unquote leadership, you might start to think more broadly about well, if this experience here is going to continue, it needs to shift radically in its foundation, in its uh, economic, financial, um, industrial, uh, and energy uh, bases. All of these things have to change. Mm-hmm. There's no other way in which we can continue. And I if agree. Humans I agree. are not going to produce this shift. Then is it possible that some other type of consciousness can, in fact, uh, find a way onto this planet uh, in a more meaningful way? I mean, you get the sort of David Jacobs thesis that the whole takeover thing. So for him, um, it's a dark thing where, and his idea of darkness is that humans are supplanted as the uh, apex um, predator, the top of the food chain on this planet. To, you know, that, that's my impression um, of his thesis. Um, but uh, Dr. Chi uh, is coming at it in a very different manner. And for him, I think he sees it in a much more benign fashion. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it reminds me that uh, Juju in her chapter in Meet the Hybrids says, well, you know, what's the difference? Um, what? What's the difference? I mean, so we help, so humans help another life form to exist here, to have an experience. Like for her, 
um, and many people like her, the context is so radically different that the average person would never be able to grasp it. And I think they would retreat into fear um, in much the way that um, uh, the, the Jacobses of this world might, mm-hmm. if that's fair. <laughs> that was an extraordinarily, not just long, but chock full of philosophical implications, this answer that you gave to my relatively short question. We just went down a rabbit hole that I'm, I'm sitting here going, do we want to continue down this whole rabbit hole or do we want to go somewhere else? It all relates in the end, but thank you for that. Okay, there's a lot for us to chew on there. Let's get into Meet the Hybrids. I want to I want to play a clip for the audience, but before I do, let me, let me set this up a little bit. Throughout this book, Miguel, um, I would dare say the reader or the listener gets a real uh, bird's eye view of the scope of experience, the scope of experience that these hybrids live. Uh, and as a result of the realization that they've learned that they are hybrids, many, if not most, had a complete change in direction in their life's purpose. Some have endured great pain and trauma as a, re- as a result of their, let's say, unique position in life. I want to share a clip from the audiobook uh, that underscores what I'm talking about here. This is from a regression that your co-author of the book and my colleague and friend, Barbara Lamb, did with one of the hybrids that you interviewed, Charmaine de Rosario Sage. Now, this is quite the testimony, and I'll say that this, uh, for me, was probably one of the most difficult parts of the book uh, for me to narrate from an emotional perspective. So to set this up, this has to do with Charmaine being literally literally kidnapped and examined, not by what some call the others, non-human intelligence, but by our own military forces. So we're going to give the audience about a five-minute clip, and then I would like to discuss this a bit with you, Miguel. So let's go ahead and play that clip. Regression with Barbara Lamb, August 2015. I was seeking information on the two occasions I shapeshifted into my reptilian form. One was on a military base, and the other was in a cave with three reptilian beings. Barbara first took me back to the moment that I was taken by the military from my home in Sussex to a base in the UK. I'm in my bed at night, and I can hear a helicopter outside. It's not unusual to hear helicopters around where I'm living. I can see four people in the room who feel distinctly male and military. They have a stretcher with them and wear plain, dark suit jackets. They have a strange feel to the material. All four have short hair, one with very blue eyes who, for some reason, stands out, despite the room being dimly lit. I'm injected with something in my upper left arm. I begin to feel very heavy. And soon, I cannot move or speak. There is a kind of body bag attached to the stretcher which I am placed in. It has a full-length zip, which they close almost entirely, but leave a small section unzipped to aid my breathing. I feel myself being lifted up. Then I'm taken out to the helicopter. Two of the men get into a black car nearby, and the other two get onto the helicopter with me. We fly for some time. The men check on me occasionally to make sure I'm still unconscious, but do not appear to speak to each other or the pilot. It's very cold. Eventually, we land, and I'm carried out and down a slope. It's cold. It smells damp. 
We go down a corridor in an underground facility, and I can see bright lights overhead. They turn left into a small, dimly lit room, then take me out of the bag and put me on a bed. There's a small table by the bed, and I can see stairs leading down. The man with the blue eyes stays in the room with me, and the other man leaves. The men have stayed completely silent. A man that I had not seen before comes into the room with a box, and blue eyes opens it. It holds a metallic, cylindrical implement about 10 to 12 inches long, which has two needles coming out of one end and a wire coming out of the other. I have a strong sense that it holds a liquid that they will inject me with. Blue Eyes brings a device to the bed and inserts the two needles into my upper left arm. I can feel liquid pumping in. The sensation is very cold, and it seems that the wire coming out the other end of the device is an electrical wire that trails out of the door. I have the sense that it is connected to something, but I cannot see what. As well as the cold feeling, my body also feels heavy, and I find it hard to breathe. The men begin to talk. And I hear a kind of electrical whirring noise. They are speaking about starting something, and I have the sense that the liquid that has been injected into my body is to facilitate an electrical impulse inside my body. An electrical current is now coming from the needles and running through my body, and the pulse intensity is increasing. The sensation becomes painful, and the cold is replaced by heat which increases and continues to be felt throughout my body. The sensation is unlike any other I have felt. I can feel my muscles contracting. Without me actively doing this, my bones feel as if they are stretching. I want to move but cannot, nor can I speak. My skin feels very tight, as if it's stretching. I can feel my muscles growing my whole anatomy changing. My fingers feel as if they're getting longer. I feel my tail begin to emerge and grow, and my skin changes to scales. Well, obviously, we only got uh, the beginning of what was a very a distinctly disturbing recollection of essentially a MyLab or military abduction scenario. Journeyers, you'll obviously have to get the book to hear the rest of this story. Uh, it's really something. Um, and needless to say, it was quite a jarring experience uh, for Charmaine. How common, Miguel, uh, do we think these sorts of abduction of hybrids are? What are we looking at here? Well, um, I can say that uh, originally in Meet the Hybrids, there was a question um, in the original questionnaire, uh, which said, um, have you ever had any contact um, with the uh, government or military? And, um, you know, we're, we're talking really about these kinds of, we're talking about a run-in. We're not talking about... Um, you know, having a chat with a cop on a street corner. Um, uh, and interestingly, um, we ended up taking it out because virtually everybody said yes. 
but they also said um particularly those in the u.s they said we don't want to talk about it we just don't is that law of attraction thing we do not want to attract that stuff and um so um so we took it out okay um, so that obviously. was a, that was a question that you originally because uh, just so people know the book is is categorized or sort of um structured so that both Miguel and Barbara, I believe, are asking questions to the hybrids. There's a series of questions that are pretty much posed to everyone. And that was one of them, you said, and initially, but it was taken Originally, out. yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, basically, people said, we just don't want to go there. We don't want to have that conversation. And um, I don't know that it was everybody, but it felt like it was... Um, uh, it felt like it was um, pretty universal, and so we didn't open it up. But mm -hmm. um, there has been, you know, several times when you know people have said, "Well, you know, we want to look at their DNA. We want to test it. We want to, you know, see what would come up in a lab. Like, would it come up with anything um, interestingly anomalous?" And uh, and for the same reason, they said, no, thank you. We do not want to give our DNA to other people. And um, when people read Meet the Hybrids and get further into that particular experience with Charmaine's, they'll really get why, yeah, where people are coming from because, you know, let's, let's just say it comes up. Um, and, yeah, I think there is a, there's a genuine fear of um conjuring of it up my labs yeah, and right. yeah because you know some of them uh i'm not gonna you know say who but you know some of them have shown me marks on their body have sent pictures of marks all over their body and said i don't know who's doing this is it is it us is it them who is it and in some of them are just um uh one of them i said well look what like if you had a, a chance i think i asked i think i asked um one in particular this question just just in the general chat you know offline sort of thing um if you had one question that you could get a straight answer to to ask the beings in particular in this case um what would that question be and he just said what the f you know, what are you doing to me? Why are you taking me? What am I, what am I for? Mm -hmm. what, what? And, and yeah, I've, I've talked, I don't know how many people in this field, um, experiences who get, uh, all sorts of craziness going on at night and, you know, waking up with all sorts of marks and they do not know often who, um, who is taking them mm -hmm. and why you know this is and this is one of the things i i kind of had to get my head around because there's this idea i think that people have of hybrids that they are all knowing that if they're a hybrid they know what the beings know but that is just not the case i mean you meet some people who say they're hybrids um who will not the people in the book but i have met people who say they're hybrids who uh you know, have an almost messianic kind of feel to them that they're saying, well, I know it all. I do know it all. I know everything. 
about everything. I have all the answers. Um, and, and this is how it is. And anybody who says otherwise is wrong and misinformed. And, and so those people, I just, I cannot take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the reason why, um, I couldn't take religion seriously as a, as a kid. I mean, before the age of 10, I was probably around seven or eight. And I remember somebody explaining to me that, um, there were not just, you know, a handful of religions, but in the way that churches fragment and faiths uh, warp and morph and develop, um, there are probably millions of faiths around the world. Um, and I thought, well, if each one only has, um, say, there's a, say there's a million, say there's a million different schools of thought on how it is, um, that means they've got a one in a million chance. <laughs> and if you are part of something and you're saying this is absolutely how it is, like I was talking with a friend recently who's a fundamentalist um, uh, evangelist, and he was saying, I said, well, what is the basis of your faith? And he said that um, the Bible is the true word of God. And I said, well, which Bible? And he said, oh, the, you know, the... King James or whatever it was. And I was like, but that's a Bible. That's not the Bible. I mean, if there are all these different Bibles, there can't be logically any such thing as the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's just a concept. So in other words, you've only got, you, you know, you have a fairly narrow chance of having it right. And, uh, but the, I think when you look at the title of Meet the Hybrids, it's right there, the lives and missions, missions. Mm -hmm. of ET ambassadors on, on Earth. Everybody has a mission. Everybody is their own unique universe with its own unique rules and understandings. And nobody can tell anybody that they're wrong. You know, it's it's that all truth right. is a truth thing. Right. Everybody gets to come here and do their thing right. because it's always, you know, everything is about relationships. Everything is about um, relativity in a sense. Right. Um, so, so I want to ask you a question, Miguel. So would you say then, cause I know there's been hot debate. It seems lately about this whole idea of truth. You know, we, we actually uh, term uh, this alternative group in some circles is the truth movement that we're talking about truth. Some people say there's only one truth, a fundamental truth. Others feel that truth is subjective. What are your thoughts? Hi, this is Alexis Brooks. If you like what you're hearing during this episode of Higher Journeys, you'll definitely want to tune in to my conscious commentary this Friday, where I will be weighing in on some of the ideas we discussed on today's show. We'll dive a bit deeper into what was shared by our guest as we continue to unravel the mystery and the magic that surrounds us all. So take the higher journey with me. Tune in this Friday for Conscious Commentary. And please don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And when you do, hit that notification bell so you'll be alerted as soon as our show airs. And now, back to our program. Are there multiple truths in your estimation from your perspective? I, I, uh, this runs through my head every week. I wouldn't say every day, but there's often something that will cause me to reflect on this again because it's one of the most interesting questions that exists as as far as I'm concerned 
is there an objective reality mm. or not? And I was listening to a French philosopher uh, a few nights ago, and, and and for him it was simple. Like it wasn't even a question. Yeah, of course there is um, an objective reality. And he was at a, an event. It's the Science and Non-Duality or Sand uh, conference, and you can find it on YouTube. And there's amazing stuff on there. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was saying that he was talking about truth and all that sort of thing and he just said well sure you know there is i am i am speaking to all of you right now and we can all agree on that um but i feel like it's almost it's almost missing the point for some people it's super important that they get everybody to believe what they believe you know, there's that. That's a very common human you know, thing. You know, I'm going to interject something. That's that's a very interesting point you make, and I agree with you. There are some people that seem just that, that their sole purpose is to convince another what they're saying is true to believe. You know, I just had this conversation with Whitley Strieber about this whole idea of belief, and mm-hmm. and that belief is really there's there's just lots of holes in the, in the idea of belief. When you think of belief, if you actually look up one of the antonyms for belief, it's truth. The antonym to belief, hmm. which <laughs> begs the question, belief is a conviction that's adopted versus a fact, versus it being a fact. It's it's an idea that is, is adopted and accepted by a given individual for a given reason. So what are we really talking about here? I had another point and I just lost it. But, um, but yeah, it, it's just very well, interesting. I want to say that, um, you know, facts are fiendish things. Um, when I did, uh, when I was working in, um, sustainability, I was also doing, um, uh, some master's level courses and one of them was philosophy of science. And by the end of that course, basically it was all, it all just kind of fell apart in terms of the entire structure of knowledge on this planet i just thought man we have we have agreed on nothing there's literally nothing mm-hmm. that all humans can agree on you know the more i thought about this and the more i've thought about this in in this field you just get into this place where um even you and you don't even know if you're agreeing because you could be saying, like, what a beautiful color blue, but you don't really know if that other pe- person is seeing, seeing blue. That's exactly right. Exactly. Absolutely. What you're seeing. Absolutely. And that's just the color. Yeah. And when it comes to concepts, when it comes to experiences, like if you went on holiday with somebody and when you were young and 25, 30 years later, you say, oh, do you remember this or that on that holiday? And they're like, no. <laughs> you're like oh my god but it was your idea that we went to that club you introduced me to that person etc mm-hmm. etc et and they blanked it i mean for them if you hadn't mentioned it it would not exist in their world and that's a thing that everybody else who was on that holiday knows happened right so yeah. you know memory is dodgy perception is dodgy i mean we know that um, when you look at memory, it changes over time. I went to um, what was 
termed the 14 times unconvention and I still have my lapel bench um, this was like 1994 um, Bud Hopkins was actually there talking about the Brooklyn Bridge abductions he just published his book on that and um, uh, oh my god now all I can think of is Bud Hopkins uh, what was my point um, <laughs> we're losing our points a lot here well I tell you what yeah. while you try to resurrect your point I'm going to go back to the point that I lost that I wanted to bring up cool. uh, look let, let's go back a little bit stay with us journeyers we're all over the map by the way Miguel and I spend endless hours having these sorts of conversations so I just feel like we're letting you in on our, our private chat today <laughs> but the, one of the things I was going to say Miguel uh, insofar as you're talking about people being so adamant about wanting or so you know, dogged about trying to convince others of their beliefs. You have to wonder at some level, is that doggedness perhaps at some level coming at trying to convince themselves? Right. Right. This is what made me think of Whitley Strieber in the talk that we had uh, last week, because uh, he was making sort of this some not really an analogy, but take going to a church and you're listening to the the preacher in the pulpit and he's screaming to the top of his lungs uh, about what it is and how it is. And this is the way it is. And he made that point that perhaps that screaming and that adamancy is coming from at some level. I don't believe what I'm saying. Oh my God. But the more I talk about it, the more I talk about it, the more I talk about it. So I think the mind can even trick itself and often does. That was my point. You, you get the opposite, right? You you get, um, you know, as Oscar Wilde said, he thinks he does protest too much. Um, you know, you get people who uh, come off as super homophobic and it turns out that they are bisexual or gay. Yeah. You know, right. and it's been yeah. repressed. You know, so sure. there's all these kind of personal truths are a nightmare mm -hmm. to kind of it's so hard in this life as a human being to stand in front of even a friend a, a stranger anybody else and say this is my truth i mean for some people they can't shut up like myself it's you know <laughs> it's i have the opposite problem but um but it depends it depends how personal that truth is how difficult it is for me to spit out this is part of my world mm -hmm. this is part of my history this is part of my reality this is something i value this is something i regret so i i have always stood in absolute awe when it comes to the hybrids thinking about the level of well, i mean we haven't even dealt with the fact that humans come in different varieties that they're not all the same color, they're not all the same sex, they don't all have the same philosophy, etc., etc. And people are killing and dying for those differences every day since we, since the year dot. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So then you have people coming forward and saying, I am, not only am I, you know, maybe uh no perhaps i'm female perhaps i'm uh not heterosexual and not only all of those things that people seem to have a problem with in our culture um but i'm not even human not entirely uh part of me yes but there's plenty of me that isn't and and by the way that means that i look at things thus and they will as in the book, in their talks and documentaries and so forth, they will share their story. And, you know, to me, that's 
an act of incredible bravery. Absolutely. I agree. I'm so glad you brought this back to the hybrids because we're going, there, there's so many, to, again, everything is connected that we're talking about, but that was a perfect segue to bring it back to these very unique individuals in, in this incredible book that I so feel, Miguel, reads like a compendium for life, not just for the hybrids, but for all of us. And yet you say, and I'm going to quote you, you say, this book will offer, speaking of differences, this book will offer every reader a different experience. We all learn in a unique way and different things will resonate at different times. But within these uh, uh, these pages, some of our biggest questions are approached from the perspective that the hybrids take, including and speaking of the concept of God, the true and multidimensional nature of reality, immortality, etc. And yet uh, it's said in the book that each of these hybrids offer just their little piece of the puzzle to all of these, their little truths, right? Right. Yeah, I mean... What's interesting about these guys, I mean, in the 90s, I knew plenty of new age people. And, uh, you know, it was that kind of rave generation. And, um, you know, it was absolute mayhem for a few years. And there was a lot of um, interest in spirituality, metaphysics, um, as part of that whole whole period, I mean, it's always there, right? It's always ongoing. But um, uh, in that time, I met a lot of those people, um, but I only met one one single person that I felt was actually legit. Um, my good friend Mike, um, who showed me by their actions what living a spiritual life looked like. Whereas everybody else basically would beat people over the head with their latest uh, metaphysical book. And, and that, that's it. And that's pretty much all they did. There was not, the, they, they did not seek to enact or to embody the kind of philosophies uh, within these books. Mm -hmm. um, however, when I was listening to the hybrids talk about their spiritual outlook and practices i was shocked because not only do they actually have practices but they genuinely they genuinely seek this as a path like this is a lifestyle they're not perfect they don't claim to be they they are just as flawed as the rest of us but they give it their best shot they really do live this stuff and and they do it with humility yeah for the most part and and it was the humility i mm. think that really caught my attention because i never found that um other than as i say that one case um in western spirituality so you know mm. that was very early on, very striking to me. So glad you said the word humility. That's the word that's been running through my head. And I've been talking about that a lot. We all need to remind ourselves of that. We know nothing for sure. And be okay with it. So that being said here, here, I couldn't agree with you more. Talk about if you would, um, uh, a very, there are so many stories that were told. And I, I've got some of my favorites. But for you, something that was very inspiring and motivating and life changing for you uh that stood out that you recall hearing from any one of the hybrids well i mean there's uh i think ultimately it was about um 
See, when I first came at this, I was um, coming from the the place of a social scientist. Um, to me, this was a, a piece of uh, social science research, but I just felt compelled to do it because I wanted answers. You know, I had my own um, metaphysical experiences in my life and uh, an interest in UFOs from when my dad gave me a book on the subject when I was five. Hmm. So it had always been there. So I was, I was very, very curious. Um, but my curiosity was from a profoundly intellectual place. I basically wanted me to wanted people to explain what is this? What is this thing we're experiencing right now? What, what is this? What, in what, what is its nature? In in what manner is it constructed? For what purpose does it exist? Etc. 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 And uh, and I was I was one of those kids who just asked why nonstop until people <laughs> scream at them. You know, you know, like people say, well, da da da, and I say, well, why? And they'll say, well, because blah blah blah. And I say, well, but why is that like that? And they'll say, well, because. I knew this would just go on in a loop until they would uh, lose it. Um, <laughs> I can just picture you doing this now. I've got a visual. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> well, kids, lo- still, well, let me stop you there. Kids love to ask why. I mean, well, this isn't unusual. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing, asking mm-hmm. why. Rather than having the answer, there's a natural curiosity that is built into each of us, Homo sapiens sapien, until somehow it's beat out of us and replaced with, oh, I've got the answer and then I've got to go and preach it to someone else. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that you you bring that up. I think curiosity along with humility is of utmost importance. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, where I was going with all of that is that um, uh, Jacqueline was one of those people I was driving absolutely crazy, Jacqueline Smith. Um, and... Uh, and eventually she says, and I am paraphrasing, but I, I remember this conversation where she was basically saying that you've got to, it's about, you kind of have to understand things with the heart, not the head. Mm-hmm. You know, the head can only get you so far, but to treat, like you can't understand love intellectually. Uh, right. You know, it, it's not that it's, it's experiential. You know, that's the bottom line. It's the same with, Buddhism or sex or dropping acid or I don't know diving off a cliff or these things have got to be experienced in order to have an understanding of them mm-hmm. you know they are experiential in nature and, and so many things are if we truly would like an insight rather than just parrot off the theory encapsulating a particular subject uh, or you just want to tell somebody the history of such and such or um, Do you think people are afraid of the experience, Miguel? You know, this this begs the question, why is it that so many people seem to be satisfied with getting information second or third hand, of, of reading a book, of attending a lecture about the things that they, they say that they're so interested in? Do you think people may be afraid of the experiential? Well, reality has to change, you know. Um Everything that you do, everything you experience, consciously or otherwise, changes you. Um, so you and I are not the same people we were at the beginning of this conversation. And we will be different people by the end of it. In a year's time, 
again, 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 it's just constant. I mean, if you think of the trillions of electrochemical uh, processes in the body at any given time, everything is flux. I mean, people talk about constantly mercury being a retrograde, talk about, you know, climate change, and they talk about this and that and the, the, the feel of living under the cloud of what the hell is going to happen with Brexit, etc., etc., there are constantly uh, forces of all descriptions acting on us. And so I feel like people are permanently swimming just to, just to stay in the same place. Mm. I mean, there's permanent uh, stress and anxiety <laughs> over work, over what will happen to their their company, their business, their industry. Um you know, with the times we live in, everything is changing so, so fast that people, I think, have become very averse to change. They've become scared of it. And any experience you offer somebody, I think, is going to trigger that internal fear of change. Interesting. Because, I mean, they're, they, they're not going to be the same person at the end. And are they... And are they willing to put the work in? I mean, if it's a certain thing like, oh, do you want to read a book? Do you want to read a certain book? Do you want to drink a certain drink? Do you want to go to a certain bar? Um, very different to, um, do you want to fly with me to Peru, trek through the jungle for a week, and then do ayahuasca? Yeah, they're very different things. And they, and all, all every experience requires a different set of investments and i think between all of the things that i've set out um above you know people struggle with the idea of committing to things that may change them mm -hmm. i i think that that makes a lot of sense you know as you as we're talking about now we're on to experience we're going to say this and then wind down i want to switch gears for a little bit uh as we wind down i should say I don't know about in the UK, but I know here in the United States, and I'm sure there as well, we have these different memes or expressions that pop up and all of a sudden they're ubiquitous and everyone's using them. And the one that I have noticed lately is experience, the travel experience, mm -hmm. enjoy your entertainment experience, mm -hmm. the this, the that, the other. And I sat back the other day and I said, I find this quite interesting. Why is everything and particularly things that ultimately don't mean that much we're attaching experience to and i had to you know i was i was being a bit critical but there's some there's, there's a bit of an agenda i think there to diminish the the value of the, the types of experiences that you're talking about versus your entertainment experience if you know what i mean so it's being used in a different mm. way it's being it's being associated with things that really don't matter so the true experience, life experience, going to Peru and doing and trekking through the jungle for a week. I don't know about the ayahuasca, but you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Uh, we we uh, Perhaps they don't want us thinking about the, the, the experiences that truly count, the sovereign experience. Right? Well, that's very interesting because, I mean, everything has been commodified, right? I mean, everything has been commodified in one way, shape or form. Um over the course of our lives. Um, so uh, I, I noticed this in, um, uh, there's a thing called E3, which is, um, it's like 
video games um it's 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 for that industry it's the event of the year i mean it's sort of in decline now but it certainly um you know has been over the last decade ish um and they would constantly like before um the see each um console manufacturer like microsoft um with the xbox and playstation uh sony with the playstation um they would like people observing this would actually say okay we're going to play like e3 bingo and you got to count how many times people use the word experience mm. and and people would make videos at the end um just basically um joining together every time people had said the word experience in a given press conference demonstration interesting mm. and it's this thing that people are trying to kind of ram home and and I would be fascinated to be sat in those uh, in those um, brainstorming sessions when people are advising the presenters to use the word experience and listen to their explanation mm -hmm. of why <laughs> you need to keep you need to keep pushing this idea of experience. Experience. I mean, is it the fact that your experience is actually um, sitting on your couch with a piece of plastic in your hands, clicking buttons and looking at the screen and responding to stimuli. Right. There you go. Right? So There you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, whether we're using the word experience, whomever is advising uh, groups of people in different venues to use any given word, I would love to be a fly on a wall to find out what the justification for it is. And I have a feeling it is not for humankind's best interest. Let's leave that there, because I, I have 10 minutes reserved for something else that Mr. Mendoza is involved in. Let's switch gears. This has been great. Um, let's talk about E.T. as Artist by Faye Vale, a book that you just uh, were involved with as editor. Mary Rodwell, our friend, wrote the foreword. This is amazing, guys. This book just hit the, the market. It is available on Amazon. Tell us about it as I'm showing some absolutely stunning images uh, that Faye Vale wrote give us a little backdrop for how this how this book came about miguel yeah well like i said um when we were talking a little while ago i absolutely um implore you to get her on the show so that she can she can walk you through it because to hear her tell it in the way that she does is extraordinary um she is a 74 year old um woman english woman from leicester and the english midlands and um uh and i really don't want to say too much about the origin story for all of this stuff because i really feel like it should be saved um and she can do it way more justice but like let's put it this way like a lot of people she was living a very ordinary average life just a regular joe uh, or jane and then some stuff happened and then some other stuff and some other stuff and then all of a kind of ufo et nature and then she basically for the first time in her life was compelled to uh draw to find a pencil, uh, find a piece of paper and start drawing. Mm -hmm. How and old was she? How, I'm sorry. How old was she when this whole thing happened? Do you know? Okay. So 
She started doing the drawing 12 years ago. She's 74 years old. This is not early in life. Wow. Okay. Right. So this kind of, yeah, I don't know how much of this kind of connects to your thesis about um, uh, unconscious contact. I mean, it was very conscious, but whether there was other unconscious contact at other times, I think it's likely. Um, I think most experiences probably have had more unconscious contact than conscious but Mm -hmm. you know that's just an impression that i get um but yeah she started and could not stop and then the she had she first of all had to start drawing the left hand which is not a regular hand really yeah i mean how weird is that i mean she just started scribbling but she'll explain to you why that was done and that itself is absolutely fascinating. And uh, yes, uh, the, il- the illustrations developed. They started off as lit- literally, she said, I was scribbling like a two-year-old. And then basically it moved on and on and on and on. And then it started to take form. And, and I think at some point she was able to... Um, switch hands and start using her right hands um and i've watched her draw um i was i was at her place a couple of weeks ago dropping off her all the originals of the artwork that we'd um uh scanned and uh used for the book and um basically she goes into a kind of semi-trance she slips into a a very relaxed, somewhat distant state, and her hand just does its own thing. And but she can talk to you um, as an observer. She's watching what her hand is doing and watching what is being produced, but she doesn't know what it is until. I mean, for some of the drawings, she doesn't even know what it is until she turns it upside down at the end. And there's a whole landscape with all these beings and people. And I mean, it's, I cannot do justice to how extraordinary her story is Hmm. and how exquisite the art itself is. But I would implore everybody, if they feel anything at all, when they look at the images that they're seeing as we're talking now, find the book E.T. as artist, mm-hmm. E.T. as artist by Faye Vale. Yeah, we'll make sure to have a link for sure. I've seen yeah. some of the images and you're seeing them, uh, seeing some of those images now. And uh, uh, like you say, I'm sure the story that she will tell in uh, obviously intricate detail will really stand us on our ear collectively. So many amazing things happening, Miguel. So, so many amazing things. Listen, we're just yeah. about out of time. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Always amazing to hear your philosophy and your your tangents that are <laughs> that you leave us with it. but but I, I say that laughingly but it's I'm going to go back and listen to this the beginning on on what you had to say about what started out as climate change and ended in truth mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you I do appreciate it so again we are out of time but listen gang before we say goodbye for today I have a little reminder to everyone who's listening on YouTube that is listen I'm just going to come out and say it. We would be so grateful 
if you would take the time, if you enjoyed what you heard, and please subscribe to Higher Journeys. Please also feel free to comment and like if you feel so inclined. And you, you know what we're saying these days, hit that notification bell to get announcements for whenever a new show airs. This is what we're doing these days, journeyers. So <laughs> uh, we would appreciate it. So I thank you for that. I thank you, Miguel, my friend, as always, for being a part of a great conversation. And I look forward to seeing y'all soon. Take care.